Valentine's Day. When police arrived at Oscar's house, he told them a harrowing story. Oscar Pistorius, according to him, has suffered death threats, has been a victim of serious and violent crime. The dark side of wealth and fame, he said, which is why he always kept a pistol handy. Karen Mond of South Africa's 24-hour news channel, ENCA. Literally walked around with a loaded 9mm gun with him at all times. That night, said Oscar, the gun was in his bedside table when he was suddenly startled awake. And hears a noise in the bathroom. He then gets what he describes as the sense of horror overcoming him. He grabbed his gun, he said, got out of bed without putting on his prosthetic legs and went looking for the source of the noise. On his stunts, walks over to the bathroom, screams at this person he believes to be an intruder, get out of my house, get out of my house, and then opens fire. Right through the bathroom door. And then, he told the police, he went back to the bed where he'd been sleeping with his new girlfriend, a 29-year-old model and aspiring attorney named Riva Stjenkamp. That's when, Oscar said, he made a horrible discovery. Riva wasn't in bed. And it immediately dawned on him that she could be the person in the bathroom. He puts on his prosthetic limbs and tries to break down the door. He then picks up a cricket bat, which he also kept in his room for protection against burglars or intruders or whatever, bashes down the door with the cricket bat. Inside, he said, he found Riva bleeding. She's slumped over, but she's still alive. He picks her up in his arms, carries her downstairs. She's still breathing. She'd been struck by three bullets, and by the time the police arrived, she was dead. Oscar sobbed as he told the story. He didn't mean to kill her. It was a horrible accident. And to quote his words, he is mortified to have taken the life of a person so loved by so many people. Detectives collected evidence, the bullet-riddled door, the cricket bat. They found security camera video showing Reba arriving at Oscar's gated and walled subdivision at 6 p.m., followed, 10 minutes later, by Oscar. On the coffee table, they found the Valentine's Day gift and card from Reva to Ozzy, as she liked to call him. It was all such a terrible, tragic mistake, said Oscar, but two little details didn't seem quite right. They found Reva's cell phone in the bathroom. Why would she take that in there, middle of the night? And more important, why was Reva dressed as if preparing to leave when she was shot? An accident? Oh no, thought detectives. This was no accident. Double amputee Olympic runner Oscar Pistorius was charged overnight with the Valentine's Day murder of his girlfriend. It was like an explosion, a huge nationwide shock. Oscar Pistorius charged with murder? How was it possible? A true hero, their international star, in court like a common criminal pleading to be released on bail. He walked into the dock and he was shaking. His entire body was shaking. He was overcome, sobbing, struggling to breathe. And they um, seemed to be absolutely genuine as far as you could tell. It did seem to be, because it was over three days. I don't think it would be physically possible for a human being to fake that over that length of time. Was he telling the truth? 
Was Rivas Genkamp the victim of a terrible accident? And he of a miscarriage of justice? Millions hoped so. Because if Oscar was lying, their Olympic hero must have been hiding a very dark side indeed. When we come back, the Oscar Pistorius that the public didn't see. And Oscar walked up to him and just started swearing at him and going off at him. Fights, threats, and the fast crowd. Is that world at all dangerous? Are there sharks out there? Yes, everywhere there are sharks. It's my 205 Every Match Counts Migraine Medicine. My 912 No Days Off Migraine Medicine. It's Ubrelvi, the migraine medicine I can take anytime. <laughs> NBC's Mary Carrillo was there with Oscar when few beyond South Africa even knew his name. <laughs> Is my face turning as green as this screen? <laughs> he was religious. He was happy. Apparently all the time. You've never had terrible days? Not really. I mean, I think um, I've got to a point that I'm very happy. Oscar was born without key bones in his feet and lower legs. His parents could have opted for years of reconstructive surgery, but instead they decided to have Oscar's lower legs amputated when he was 11 months old. It was a good decision in the end, said Oscar. I believe certain things in my life uh, have changed my personality in a positive way due to having a disability. As NBC cameras followed Oscar around South Africa in the weeks leading up to the 2012 Olympics, he seemed grounded, humble, salt of the earth. He had joined charities, this one dedicated to helping landmine victims. I've been very lucky to be involved in two projects in Mozambique in the past where we've been able to um, get funding to make them prosthetic legs. I really had exalted this guy. He seemed very aware of his personal power and what he could do with it. I really thought that he could, he was a game changer. New York Times reporter Michael Sokolov spent a couple of weeks with Oscar back then, and he too was impressed. In Oscar's home, there's almost an entire shelf of Mandela biographies, and Oscar reads them. He's a smart guy. He's a, a literate person. But just before those triumphant Olympics, Sokolov witnessed a disturbance in Oscar's life. He broke up with his longtime girlfriend, Samantha Taylor. Here's a selfie Oscar took of the two of them in happier times. Olympics came first, he told Samantha. He was too focused, too intent on this goal, and he didn't feel that it was something he could maintain, and he broke it off with her. After the Olympics, by then a world celebrity, Oscar flew to the Seychelles to tape an episode of the South African talk show called Top Billy. Oscar's companion on this September trip was Samantha Taylor, his old girlfriend, the one he broke up with before the Olympics. Certainly looked here as if Oscar had patched things up with her now. It makes my life a lot easier spending time with someone that's um, you're very caring and... and uh... You're both blushing. <laughs> <laughs> At home, of course, Oscar was an item everywhere he went. When he ordered a brand new McLaren sports car, it was noticed. Like everything he did was noticed. Oscar clearly enjoyed the attention, began to spend time with new friends. The solid, stoic coaches who raised him, taught him humility, way to pals like billionaire financier Quinton Vanderberg. 
seen here in his reality TV show, Clifton Shores. And there was nightclub owner and ex-convict, Kenny Cunady. I was a gangster. So I, <laughs> I was a gangster. Yeah, I, people don't usually say that. Look, if, if you are out of it, yeah. it's easy to say that. I guess. Cunady loved Oscar. Loved showing him off to a whole new cast of characters. Not all of whom necessarily had Oscar's best interests at heart. Is that world at all dangerous for a, a newbie to become involved in? I mean, are, are there sharks out there? Yes, everywhere there are sharks. Many, Kunani said, behind the wheels of fast and fancy cars. In Johannesburg, there's Ferraris, there's, there's, there's Lamborghinis, there's Porsches, um, there's uh, McLarens, there's Rolls Royces. Yeah, Johannesburg is very, very fleshy. Thing is, Oscar loved speed of all kinds, fast people, fast cars, and here at the local Formula One racetrack, he met a fast crowd, too. Rent the whole place for their private races and their parties up there in the clubhouse. Here, Oscar met the kind of people he might never have met had he not been Oscar Pistorius. Here he met the people who pulled a thread from the carefully woven fabric of his life. In particular, his new friend, Clifton Shore's producer, Quentin Vanderberg. Oscar allegedly accused Quentin of having an affair with Samantha Taylor during the Olympics, that is, after Oscar first broke it off with Samantha. And Oscar walked up to him and just started swearing at him and offered him and you, 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 my girlfriend while I'm running for my country. This is South African soccer star Mark Batchelor. He told us Quentin denied ever dating Samantha Taylor, and he was so upset by Oscar's outburst, he asked Batchelor to speak to him. So he was still shaking up, so he asked us, you know, asked me, could I, you know, find out what's going on? But, said Bachelor, when he phoned Oscar. You know, Disney said, oh, what's the problem, boy, have you got a problem with me, and, you know, I'm not scared of you, and so, you know, just boys talk, so I said to him, listen, Oscar, you put out of your league, but if you think you're Jenny, he said, hey, f you, I will break your f***ing leg. So, she just laughed it off, I didn't think anything of it. Bachelor, by the way, had a checkered past himself. He said, Sign. All the wrong people. I know the crowd that they were all in with, and Oscar got sucked in there, and you know, I all became. Was Samantha said she complained Oscar was not pleasant at all. Samantha's mother said she was afraid for her daughter's safety. But the public knew none of that. As far as his fans were concerned. Oscar was on top of the world. And so when Oscar Pistorius walked the red carpet in November 2012 at the National Sports Awards show with this woman on his arm, the entire country wanted to know, who is she? Coming up. Neva had a brilliant mind. She was smart and funny and all those things, but she was brilliant. Oscar and Reva's new romance enter an old flame could jealousy be a motive in this shooting when Dateline continues? Your mission, stand up to moderate to... ...ceremony in November 2012. Riva had looks, no question there, but according to her friends, that might have been the least of her attributes. Riva had a brilliant mind. She was smart and funny and all those things, but she was brilliant. Gina Myers was Reva's roommate, which may be understating their relationship. Reva actually lived with Gina and her parents, did it to save money. 
but also being far from home, she missed her family. And it was comforting to be part of somebody else's. She often told me um, how grateful she was for her upbringing. Her family is a very down to earth. They're the salt of the earth. They very humble and Reva was exactly, exactly the same. Reva grew up tough on a small farm near the factory town of Port Elizabeth. Tough enough to come back from a serious fall from a horse. She broke her back, spent eight months in the hospital, had to learn to walk all over again. She attended a devout and diverse Catholic school, St. Dominic's Priory, where students are taught to be of service to the poor. By the time she entered the pre-law program at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University, Reva was primed to make a difference, to be part of the new South Africa. But then a relationship with a man, her first serious boyfriend, turned abusive, frightening, destroyed her self-confidence. She had spoken about having a previously abusive relationship. After graduation to break free, Reva moved far away to the big city, Johannesburg, she had an unbelievable personality, she had an unbelievable heart. Warren LaHood met Reva soon after she arrived in town, and the two quickly fell in love. We shared everything together. We did everything together. How long did you go out together? It was four and a half years. During which Reva became determined to do something about the kind of domestic violence she'd experienced at the hands of that first boyfriend. And Warren encouraged her shared her outlook, her down-home sensibilities. He was a normal, run-of-the-mill guy. In one of life's weird twists, Mark Batchelor knew Reva back then, too, when she was dating Warren. She was in love, so we were talking about when they're going to have the wedding. But before then, Reva wanted to live out a fantasy. She had dabbled in modeling as a teenager, decided to give it another try before going on to law school. She was looking for what was going to take her places. Reva's career took off. She appeared in ads, TV commercials, videos, like this one for the men's magazine, FHM. Did she get a big head? No, never. But by July of 2012, Reva broke the news to Warren. She wanted, for the first time in her life, to be on her own. I mean, I was very busy, she was very busy. So I suppose you start growing apart and sometimes you need a break. By then, Reva was speaking out publicly about domestic violence. She only knew Oscar the way everybody knew Oscar, as the electrifying Blade Runner in the Olympic Games. And then, pure coincidence really, four months later, the car dealer from whom Oscar ordered that McLaren showed him a picture of Reva, suggested he might want to take her to the sports awards. It was like they were made for each other, both disciplined, hardworking, well-read, hoping to put their fame to use for the betterment of others. Oscar for landmine victims, and Reva for victims of domestic violence. Did you ever meet Oscar? I did, yes. I mean, seemed like a gentleman. And like a gentleman, Warren graciously accepted his role as Reva's ex. And as an ex-boyfriend, Warren would occasionally meet Reva at a cafe to talk about old times. One of those passing encounters, though, will forever be replayed in Warren LaHood's mind. What did she tell you she was up to? She told me how well she was doing and she seemed like she was happy. Perfectly innocent, said Warren. But did Oscar think so? Mark Batchelor had seen, he said, how jealous Oscar could be about his former girlfriend, Samantha. He told us Reva's friends believed Oscar now felt the same way 
about her. There was talk about him trying to see, you know, if she was contacting her ex, Warren. Was Oscar jealous of Warren? We don't know. But we do know this. That little coffee date Warren had with Reva, it was on February 12th, 2013, 36 hours before Oscar killed her. Coming up, prosecutors lay out the case, iPhones, bullet holes, Reva's clothes, neighbors' stories. What everybody will be watching for is whether or not you can prove he intended to kill her. We would not have charged him if we didn't believe so. Police and prosecutors thought it was from the very first night. As the trial began, everyone was wondering how the state was going to prove the killing of Reva was premeditated, that Oster actually meant to kill her. I think the state has put a huge amount of work and a huge amount of money and a huge amount of effort into making their case. A case that the prosecution argued was just as simple as it looked on day one. We can't deny that. Riva was killed by himself at his house, and that four shots were fired at her. Attorney Nati Makumbe of South Africa's National Prosecuting Authority previewed cautiously the prosecution's case against Oscar. What everybody will be watching for is whether or not you can prove he intended to kill her. And you sound like you're pretty confident the prosecution has enough to be able to prove that. We would not have charged him if we didn't believe so. He knew that Riva was in the bathroom and he intended to kill her. Riva was dressed when she was shot, as if she intended to leave. She'd taken her cell phone with her when she locked herself into the bathroom, said prosecutor Dupi Samasuku. We believe that uh, Riva was probably running away and she locked herself in, in, in the bathroom. What's the prosecution's theory about the fact that she was wearing white shorts and a black top? It cannot be explained as of now. Uh, until such time, the accused can actually take up a stand and say, she decided to put on clothes to go to the bathroom, or she decided to say, I'm going to sleep on clothes, I'm not going to put my nighties on. Tipsters told investigators in the months before the Riva shooting, Oscar had recklessly fired his pistol twice before, once through the sunroof of his car while driving, another time while having lunch this crowded upmarket cafe. He accidentally shoots it. He then asks his friend to take the fall for him, saying that, you know, I'm a well-known person. The media will be all over this. You, know, you say you shot the gun. Help me out. The state is arguing is that he's never taken responsibility for anything, ever. Everyone keeps making excuses for him. And now a woman is dead. Weirdly, this happened at the very same restaurant where Reva met with her ex-boyfriend, Warren, a day and a half before Oscar shot her to death. In addition to murder, prosecutors added those firearm charges. Nickel and dime stuff, you might say, but the prosecutors had their reasons. And what they essentially are is part of a strategy by the NPA to present Oscar Pistorius as a trigger-happy cowboy who reached for his firearm in moments of stress. Like the time when, four months before Reva's shooting, Oscar tweeted about going into full combat recon mode when he heard a noise in the laundry room. 
What's interesting in that account is what Oscar did not do. He did not fire four shots through the door. So what about the time he actually did fire his pistol? During that awful night, he took Reva's life. We made a replica of Oscar's bathroom door, thick, solid wood. On the target range, we fired the same type of 9mm round from the same type of pistol Oscar used. Bullets ripped right through the door as if it was nothing more than gossamer. We also learned there's something unique about this 9mm. It's not only powerful, but exceptionally loud. So much so it's impossible to convey without blowing out your speakers. 160 decibels, louder than a jet engine at takeoff, makes your ears ring. According to prosecution spokesman Natty McCombe, many of Oscar's neighbors heard those gunshots and something possibly more damning. Screams. And it's not just, by the way, the screams. It's whether did people actually hear arguments prior to that, you know? Did you hear a woman shouting, sounding irritated and annoyed and angry, and men screaming, shouting, and so on? The prosecution named more than a dozen neighbors as potential witnesses. Five of them, according to the pretrial report, said they heard arguing and shots, followed by the screams of a woman, and then further shots. And if people said we had gunshot, scream, gunshot, scream, you know, uh, it's going to be pretty much hard for you to argue that you still didn't know that the person was screaming was your girlfriend. How would Oscar ever be able to explain that away in court? Coming up, a shining Olympic hero hiding a secret terror. This is a person who was living essentially in a state of fear. You kind of buy Oscar's story then that he thought there was an intruder in the bathroom. Yes. When Dateline continues. Karen Monson, he learned Oscar planned to hold him to a different That he can't be judged according to the standards of the reasonable man. South Africa's self-defense law is based on how a reasonable man would react to an attack. But Mon said Oscar's defense team would portray him as something other than that. You need to take into account that this is a person who has persistently said that he felt the most vulnerable on his stumps and was living essentially in a state of fear and a state of terror, and you need to judge him by that standard. To be treated. Now, he was expected to make the opposite argument in court that he was different, a double amputee who lived in constant fear of the dark. Oscar didn't sleep well. Oscar didn't sit still. Um, he was restless all the time. Journalist Michael Sokolov, while working on his New York Times Sunday Magazine cover story, said he observed that in private, Oscar was often afraid. He seemed to have a great deal of fear, reasonable or not, of people breaking into his house. One day when I was with him, we came back to the house, and he said, by the way, there was a noise in the house last night and I thought it was an intruder, and I came downstairs with my gun. Armed and afraid, a dangerous combination. 
The account Oscar gave the night he shot Rivas Tienkamp seemed very telling, that his portrayal of himself was a far cry from the heroic Blade Runner. I heard a noise in the bathroom. I felt a sense of terror rushing over me. I believed that someone had entered my house. I was too scared to switch a light on. I grabbed my 9mm pistol from underneath my bed. I fired shots at the toilet door and shouted to Riva to phone the police. I was still too scared to switch on the light. Too scared to switch on a light. But not too scared to pull the trigger on a pistol. As this footage from Sky News video reveals, Oscar was very comfortable with a gun in his hands and knew quite well the damage they could do. Which Oscar Pistorius would the jury see? Coming up. Her shouts, her screams were petrifying. It was clear that this person's life was in danger. Neighbors tell their stories, and Oscar tells his. I sat over Eva and I cried. <laughs> she wasn't Who would the judge believe? In the spring of 2014 was an international event. Dream. I do, I do, my lady. How do you plead? Not guilty, my lady. It was all so dramatic. There were the neighbors, five of them, who testified off camera. They heard the gunshots when Reva was killed, but not just gunshots. They heard Reva terrifying. Her shouts, her screams were petrifying. I knew something terrible was happening in that house. The neighbor's husband gave an identical account. She started screaming again. At that point, the intensity and the fear in her voice escalated. And it was clear that this person's life was in danger. That's when the first shots were fired. Oscar's next-door neighbor testified she heard a loud argument more than an hour before the shooting. I heard sounds of, it seemed like um, somebody was involved in a fight. And these people are talki talking in loud voices to my lady. And around about 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard four gunshots. Which went through the door behind which Riva was cowering, said the prosecutor. He brought the door to the court, bullet holes and all. And then the state's ballistics expert described how, shot by shot through that door, Oscar took Riva's life. Now, came to the conclusion that most probably the wound on the hip was when she was in a standing position between the door and the toilet seat. That shot shattered Riva's hip. She fell back onto a magazine stand, put her hands up in a futile attempt to protect herself as a second round passed through her upper right arm. The third shot missed, but the fourth one struck Riva in the head. If you look at the defensive position, it's like if you see in position, the wound on the left hand, just between the two fingers, bullet perforated here, and she was a bit facing down. It comes in here. It also penetrated the head of the deceased. Pistorius responded to this testimony by covering his head, plugging his ears, and vomiting into a trash can. Prosecutors made the case that Oscar was a man governed by his emotions, not just grief and guilt as seen in court, but also jealousy and rage. To make that case, the state submitted a string of text messages sent three weeks before the shooting. 
Riva to Oscar. I was not flirting with anyone today. I'm scared of you sometimes and how you snap at me. Oscar responded, I was upset that you just left me after we got food to go and talk to a guy and I was watching you touch his arm and ignore me. Then, with six days to live, here was Riva again to Oscar. I can't be attacked by outsiders for dating you and be attacked by you, the one person I deserve protection from. But Oscar's lawyer said the texts were nothing more than a lover's spat. So, what really happened that night? Well, only one person survived, and he, Oscar Pistorius himself, took the stand off camera to tell the world his version. I heard a window open in the bathroom. I thought that there was a burglar that was gaining entry into my home. The first thing that ran through my mind was that I needed to arm myself, that I needed to protect Reva and I, that I needed to get my gun. And then I heard a noise from inside the toilet. Um, but I perceived to be somebody coming out of the toilet. Before I knew it, I'd fired four shots at the door. My ears were ringing, I couldn't hear anything. So I shouted, I kept on shouting for Reva to phone the police. And I unlocked the door and I flung the door open, I threw it open. And I sat over Reva and I cried. She wasn't South Africa does not have a jury system, so Oscar's testimony was for an audience of one. The judge would determine Oscar's guilt or innocence. And five months later, when Judgment Day finally arrived... Mr. Pistorius, please stand up. The judge made it clear she believed Oscar. Shooting the deceased dead was a genuine mistake, as he thought he was shooting at an intruder behind the toilet door. The accused is found not guilty and is discharged. Not guilty of murder. But the judge did find Oscar guilty of a lesser charge, culpable homicide. In U.S. terms, manslaughter. Reva's parents, June and Barry Stjenkamp, were devastated. I wanted the truth. I don't think we got the truth. That's the whole point. We did not get the truth. That's not what I believe or Barry believes happened. That's not justice. And that's not justice. For them, the news only got worse. The sentence was much more lenient than expected. Five years. And then, just a year into the sentence, this happened. There's late news tonight from South Africa. NBC News has learned one-time Olympic hero Oscar Pistorius has been released from prison. Oscar was allowed to move into his uncle's compound to serve out the rest of his sentence. It was a strange ending to a strange story. Except that wasn't the end of the story. In South Africa, the rules are a little different. Prosecutors can appeal verdicts, which they did. And after the trial, after Oscar was sent home, a higher court upgraded his conviction. The accused conviction and sentence on count one are set aside and replaced with the following. Guilty of murder. Then later, the court increased Oscar's sentence, too, to 13 years. And so back he went to prison. He'll be eligible for parole in 2023. So what then? 
Is there any indication whatsoever that he would ever try to come back from this? I don't think there's any sense of hope that his athletics career can ever re resume. It's very apparent that that person is, is no longer with us. As much as Reba Steenkamp is no longer on this earth, that Oscar Pistorius is also gone with her. There is a postscript to this story, and it has to do with Mark Batchelor, that one-time soccer legend. What's that like to have a huge crowd of 100,000 people and they're all cheering your name? Yes. Sometimes they bring your name as well. <laughs> On the evening of July 14th, 2019, as he sat in his car in front of the home where we had met him, two gunmen, unknown, fired into Mark Batchelor's car. Police are investigating a case of murder. His murder was national news. The South African Broadcasting Company was all over it. A targeted hit, the police called it. There were rumors that Batchelor had got mixed up with a fast crowd out to settle an old score. Which got us to thinking about the time this sports god told us how, like Oscar, he struggled to stay grounded as his own fame and money soared. It's just getting too fake and too much about who's got more money or who's got more better cars and who, who can do this and who can't do that. And I pulled away from it. There's an eternal truth to the ancient myth about flying too close to the sun, whether once celebrated footballer, or shining star of the London Olympics, who flew on his flashing blades and fell so fast and so far. That's all for this edition of Dateline. We'll see you again Monday at 10, 9 central, and of course I'll see you each weeknight for NBC Nightly News. I'm Lester Holt. For all of us at NBC News, good night. I'm going to hold on promoting you this quarter. Bobcat Fire, new chopper for Alpha. Eliana. Chuck and Colleen, for the sixth night in a row, the Bobcat fire continues to burn in the mountains behind Monrovia. And that fire has now grown to more than 26,000 acres, but has a 6% containment on the eastern end of the fire. On both the east and the west sides of the fire, that fire is actually burning towards areas that have previously burned, which will act as a natural fire break. But the big concern is that southern portion, which is about a mile away from the nearest structures so firefighters are focusing on that end of the fire but at this point no structures are immediately threatened that's latest from over the scene in your shop before alpha let's send it back down to you in the studio thank you eliana in fact we're going to stay on your live picture right now as we bring in meteorologist anthony Giannis. anthony where is the smoke now and where is it going well, the worst air quality right now, Chuck, really extends from Monrovia all the way into the L.A. Basin. That dark color, that's where the smoke is low to the ground. That's where it's dangerous to breathe. Overnight, as I put this into motion, uh, the smoke really stays in place in the L.A. Basin. So, again, this is the worst air quality, the most dangerous air to breathe. The problem with tomorrow afternoon, because the weather pattern doesn't change, we're going to see a flare-up with some very dangerous air from the San Gabriel Valley, right where the fire is extending all the way into the L.A. Basin. So the smoke advisory has been extended through tomorrow but there is some hope for sunday's weather i'll show you that part of the story coming up
All right, Anthony. Now, as firefighters work to keep the Bobcat fire from reaching homes now about a mile away, the fire is certainly not the only concern. Air quality is an issue for millions of people from the foothills all the way down to the coast. And tonight, NBC4's Beverly White is going to show us how it's impacting all of us. With the Bobcat fire nearby in the Angeles National Forest, Monrovia residents stay ready to run and protect what they can under a shroud of soot and ash from the fiery woodlands. Extremely smoky. It almost looks like it's foggy out. It's that smoky right now. Obscured skies from Pasadena to Bradbury since the Bobcat fire began on Sunday. This Myrtle Avenue gym moved outdoors in the pandemic, just canceled high-intensity classes due to smoke. And then every night we take leaf floors, blow all the ash away, start fresh each morning. Smoky air is why L.A. County closed for the weekend the eight parks seen on this list. And today, experts extended unhealthy air quality alerts into coastal and central Los Angeles, where we met hikers smelling smoke but still working out. Um, I went outside and checked, and I, I feel like it's not too bad over here. I don't plan to be out too long, but I still wanted to get some cardio in. So and We haven't been going out to do many things anyways. Just with COVID, we're kind of taking it slow, maybe just a walk here and there. Bad air means fewer diners outdoors at COVID-compliant Barcelona restaurant in Pasadena. It has been one after another. I'm kind of waiting for the locusts to come by. <laughs> Nobody's laughing about having to close these four COVID testing sites for the weekend because of bad air. Efforts to keep wildfire smoke from making bad situations worse. I'm pretty healthy. So um, I'm not having any respiratory issues at the moment. People that have those um, pre-exposed conditions, I agree, should stay at home and make sure they protect themselves. Back here in the fire zone, officials are discouraging people from driving in to gawk at the flames. They say it's tough enough to keep these streets clear for fire trucks, and if need be, residents ordered to evacuate. In Monrovia, I'm Beverly White, NBC4 News. Now to a developing story. This out of Lake Balboa. Two people were killed this afternoon when a classic plane crash after taking off from the Van Nuys Airport. Robert Kovacic tonight, he's been looking into what happened and who was on board. Robert? So, we're standing here at the protected crash site at Havenhurst and Hart. Still don't know the names of the people killed. And at this point, investigators do believe there were just two people on board. Now to determine why it went down right here, avoiding power lines, avoiding buildings, avoiding people. The pieces of a single-engine plane remain tonight a charred pile in the middle of a parking lot, exactly where it nosedived. Was was currently uh, seen. Raul Alvarez, who works nearby, among those who got to the flaming wreckage before first responders, using hoses and fire extinguishers, there was nothing they could do. It was really, really, really traumatic. The Navion B took off from nearby Van Nuys Airport just after 3 this afternoon, reportedly climbed, then stalled. This is audio from the control tower. It appears that they went down over there by Balboa. I was inside my condo and I thought there was an earthquake. It just, it was a sudden jolt. At least two people on board heading to Santa Inez Airport in Santa Barbara County. Two people killed. LAFD Captain Eric Scott on the NBC4 News at 5 just after surveying the wreckage. They were just feet away from vehicles. There was nearby buildings, and if this was a populated area, of course, this would have been a much different story. Today of all days, my heart goes out to the families, the guys that were in that plane, and anybody else that's impacted by this. A pilot we 
we spoke with who flew yesterday said he does not believe visibility would be a reason for the crash. The FAA says they take nine factors into consideration when it comes to every accident investigation and our smoky skies will be taken into account. Live tonight here in Lake Balboa, I'm Robert Kavasek. Colleen, that's the very latest from here. All right, Robert, thanks for that. Now, several people were taken into custody tonight after sheriff's deputies responded to reports of a shooting in West Hollywood. This was reported around 6 o'clock tonight near Melrose and La Cienica. Authorities advised people to stay out of the area and to shut down several streets as they investigated. At this point, it appears no one was hurt. It is unclear how those detained might be connected to that shooting. And the just-released autopsy report of former Glee actress Naya Rivera reveals some new details about the moments just before she drowned at Lake Piru in July. The report states that Naya Rivera yelled help just moments after she lifted her four-year-old son into the boat they rented. Toxicology results show that she had prescribed amphetamines and an anti-anxiety drug in her system, but those were not listed as factors in her death. With the pandemic and unhealthy air quality, restaurant owners are fighting to keep their doors open. And as NBC4's Hetty Chang learned, many are not sure just how much more they can take. Can you believe it? It's what Alhambra restaurant owner Jorge Wong is asking a lot these days. I feel like uh, everything coming at the same time. Last weekend's record heat left his patio and parking lot dining empty. Was really hot and uh, people, they, they want to stay home. And with tonight's air filled with ash and smoke. Customers, they don't want to eat outside right now with this. Wong shows us the dust and the ash he's constantly cleaning off his tables at Mencora Peruvian Cuisine. He says all he can do as a restaurant owner is stay positive. Sometimes we talk about it. We talk about it and um, we're praying for nothing happen again, something like this or, or anything else. A few stores down on Main Street. Get an umbrella now, so then I get in the ashes on their drinks. Limerick's loyal customers filling the patio despite unhealthy smoke filling the air. It's definitely not normal. It's still very orange. If you guys see the sun, it's actually reddish orange. It's not good, that's what I'll say. The gastropub's owner hoping the fires are the last of his business's hurdles. It's just been a heck of a ride, really. You know, it's it's up and down and with with all that that's been going with all the fires and the protests and it, it's just been a challenge basically to to stay in business. Now, Orange County restaurants were able to open indoors at limited capacity on Tuesday. That, coupled with the fact that they're further away from the fires, has really helped out the restaurants down south. Unclear as to when L.A. County restaurants can move indoors. In Alhambra tonight, Hetty Chang, NBC4 News. A small brush fire broke out tonight in Hacienda Heights. New Chapter 4 Alpha was over Los Robles Avenue, not far from the 60 freeway. Fire crews aggressively attacked this fire and kept it to just eight acres. Well, it's been burning for six days, and evacuation orders are still in place for the El Dorado fire. This one has been burning west of Oakland since last Saturday, and several areas, including Mountain Home Village and Forest Falls, still evacuated tonight. More than 13,000 acres have been burned, and the fire is now 31% contained. This fire contributing to the hazy air that we've all been breathing this week. Firefighters say the El Dorado fire was started at a gender reveal party. 
How bad is it? At least six of the largest fires ever recorded in California are burning right now. Governor Gavin Newsom got a first-hand look at the damage in Oroville today and blamed the fires on climate change. Uh, we're in the midst of a climate crisis. Uh, we are experiencing weather conditions the likes of which we've never experienced in our lifetime. We're experiencing what so many people predicted decades and decades ago. Governor Newsom also took the opportunity to sign a bill, a bill that allows prisoners who fight fires to have their records expunged after serving time. And that would create a path to becoming a full-time firefighter. Today marks six months since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. L.A. County reported 1,100 new cases today and 43 deaths. The county is now still the most restrictive tier. It's up on that top tier, so we're not seeing anything in the way of reopenings, at least going inside stores and businesses. Awful air quality has also led to testing sites being closed today. Still closed are schools in Los Angeles County, and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. Public health officials this week said that schools in L.A. County would not reopen until at least November and perhaps longer. And a new study is revealing the impact of the pandemic on young people. This was put together by the University of Chicago, and they found that people between 18 and 34 are experiencing the most stress and having the most trouble sleeping. Still ahead, pet adoptions are up during the pandemic, but so are the scams. And our I-team reveals how to save yourself some heartache and cash when adopting a pet. Then putting politics aside to remember the fallen, the tributes today for 9-11 victims and how they were different this year. see any change on Sunday. That air quality is still going to be very poor and then also dangerous. Here's what's going on. We have this omega block pattern and so that's when an area of high pressure is basically sandwiched between two areas of low pressure so it's stuck. So all week long this has been the pattern and so what the high has done is it hasn't been able to move so we've seen the smoke go from Northern California and move directly into Southern California and that's why we've had these uh, smoky skies really all week long and then you couple that with the El Dorado fire and the Bobcat fire and it makes it worse. No changes tomorrow. The high pressure is still in place. You're going to have that uh, north to south flow so you still have that omega block pattern. The pattern, though, changes on Sunday. Look at this. As the high starts to push off to the east, this low moves in. And so what's going to happen is these upper-level winds are going to begin to take the smoke in northern, Cal Cal 
Northern California and move it to Idaho and Canada and not move it into Southern California. So on Sunday, we're going to begin to see some improvement with our air quality, with the exception being a place like Azusa in the San Gabriel Valley, where you still are going to have the smoky skies. For the rest of us, Santa Monica, Anaheim, and also Riverside, you're going to see a little better air quality because of that flow of air coming in. Otherwise, tomorrow is going to be smoky for all of us. That's your weekend forecast. Your extended forecast looks like this. Smoky skies, notice there's really no excessive heat in the LA Basin, Orange County, or along the coastline. Your valleys and your Inland Empire forecast, you are going to see some more heat, some more warmth coming in once all this smoke is able to get pushed out of here and it becomes much more isolated in nature. High desert and low desert forecast. Here's what you're looking like for the next seven days in your mountains forecast. Temperatures are going to be warming up for the beginning of next week. Mid-70s and still a lot of smoke around tomorrow. Here's Mario now with sports. Hey, thank you, Anthony. More concerns in baseball as another game is called off. Plus, with a chance to make history, the Clippers blow it in the fourth quarter. That is next on the NBC4 Sports Desk. tonight in game five and advance to their first ever conference finals instead they blew a 16 point lead and have now given the nuggets new life in the series and we can all blame charles barkley for what he said on tnt's pregame tonight they're gonna beat denver tonight uh no doubt in my mind you want to guarantee it guarantee uh woo, Jamal Murray. <laughs> sir charles is the kiss of death but his guarantee yes, looked good early. Kawhi Leonard with a pretty spin move for the slam. He had 12 in the first quarter, 36 for the game. Kawhi often makes uh, these plays look somewhat routine. In fact, the Clippers were on fire from the outside. 9 of 17 for me on the arc in the first half. Paul George and Patrick Beverly doing most of the damage. Clippers up 12 at the break and looking pretty good. But it all falls apart in the second half. Paul Millsap with the jumper, Denver down seven, heading into the fourth. That's when the Nuggets outscored the Clippers by 13. Nikola Jokic with a three, giving them their first lead of the game. Then just over a minute to play. This shot by Michael Porter Jr. seals the win. It's Porter's only bucket of the game. Nuggets avoid elimination 111 to 105. Here is Doc Rivers. They played well. They started making shots. Uh, if you look at some of the shots, we, 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 we had a wide open threes that we didn't make. So it's just, it's called basketball and give them a lot of credit. Uh, I know everybody's excited about the Lakers playing the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, but uh, we're hoping to have something to say about that. Game six will be Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but it won't be easy. The Nuggets are 4-0 and in elimination games this season. Meantime, Celtics beat the Raptors tonight in a winner-take-all Game 7. Jason Tatum leading Boston with a game-high 29. And how about Kemba Walker, the bucket and foul. Celtics win 92-87. They will face the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Back with more right after this.
tested positive for the virus. It is the 50th game this season in baseball that has been postponed due to COVID-19. High drama in the Mile High City between the Angels and Rockies. Game tied in the ninth inning when Charlie Blackman hits a walk-off grand slam for Colorado. Rockies come from behind to win it 8-4. to four. And finally, the NFL season underway, and that means that the challenge is right around the corner. Season 15 of our show kicks off right after Sunday Night Football. This week, it's the Rams and Cowboys, and we've got all sorts of chances for you to win. We're going to give away $5,000 as a grand prize. You heard right. And every week, TVs, vans, shoes, and gift cards to barbecues galore. But you've got to register to play. Go to NBCLA.com challenge and sign up. Then join Fred and Petros every Sunday night, and you could be a winner. This has been the Sports Desk with Mario Salinas. need a nasal swab just from looking at that. <laughs> if you're trying to figure out how many Bob Woodward tapes we need for people to take COVID seriously, it appears the answer is more than 18. <laughs> what are they doing? Even the cardboard cutouts at Major League Baseball games are more spread out than that. Can we see that photo again? Wow. That's a, that's a lot of white people. Looks like a mosh pit at a Kenny G concert. <laughs> <laughs> He goes in a songbird. It's like, people are calling last night's rally. You should. Oh, I would totally mosh Kennedy. I, I, I last time I tried moshing, I went to like, I want to say it was one of the later Lollapaloozas. And I was like, I can handle myself. I can mosh. That's cool. I could, it's totally cool. Let's get in there. And, dude, I got a boot to the head. And I was like, too old, too I wore, old. I wore Birkenstocks to see Henry Rollins. <laughs> no, that was the end of that again. <laughs> he lost three toes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, old guy, old guy in the mosh pit, old guy. Just get the old guy out. They carried me out. Uh, sorry, people were calling last night's rally a super spreader event. When he heard that, Trump was like, amazing. Even CNN said it was super. <laughs> And everyone's talking about this moment from the rally. Did you see this yet? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So Trump uh, is trying to go through the history of Michigan, but he, he stumbled over the word Motown. Check it out. Michigan gave us Motown. Gave us Motown. Gave us the Mustang. <laughs> All the Motangs, great artists. Like Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gang, and the Jacks Gang Five. <laughs> Who could forget <laughs> the great Motown song, Papa Was a Roping Stone? <laughs> I'm just going to do a million of these, man. <laughs> Trump was like, I even love all the rappers in the Motown clan. <laughs> Michigan gave us Heidi Motang, Spencer, Elsie, and of course, Brody Jenner. <laughs> Later on, Trump said, Motang, of course, began in the great city of Detroit. <laughs> right after that, Yosemite National Park was like, damn, you two? 
<laughs> yeah, Trump mispronounced Motown as Motang. It was a simple mistake, but to prove that he's actually a huge fan of Motown, he released this message. Take a look. I'm Donald J. Trump, here to talk about all the fantastic artists that came out of Motown. Artists like Betty White, the Burrito Supremes, Orville Redenbacher, Marvin, word Mike Pence won't say, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, Blade Plugins, and my personal favorite, Eats Domino's. <laughs> Later in the rally, Trump mentioned an award that he's won in the past. That I didn't really know about. Watch this. Well, I was honored in Michigan. Does anybody know that? I was given Man of the Year award by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't remember the Michigan Man of the Year award, there's a reason. They, they don't exist. <coughs> His staff was like, when he's in a bad mood, we just give him a trophy with a post-it note on it. Just hey. <laughs> Trump just making up awards. Like, I was named Michigan's Man of the Year, Wisconsin's Most Stable Genius, <laughs> and Ohio's Sexiest Man Alive. <laughs> Trump said he was given the award by somebody. Honestly, the only thing foggier than that claim is Andy Reid's face shield. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of awards, the Trump campaign tried to celebrate the president's Nobel Prize nomination on Facebook, but they had some trouble with the spelling. This is real. Look at what they posted. They spelled Nobel wrong. No. This is real. No. They spelled no. Trump saw that and was like, you idiots, it's prize with an S. <laughs> <laughs> and get this, uh, during a White House press conference yesterday, Trump started talking about the TV shows that he watches. It's a pretty long list. Listen to this. I watch some of the shows. I watched Liz McDonald. She's fantastic. I watched uh, Fox Business. Uh... I watched uh, Lou Dobbs last night, Sean Hannity last night, Tucker last night, Laura. I watched uh, Fox and Friends in the morning. That's, that's seven hours of TV he's listening. It would have been quicker to just name the shows on Fox News he doesn't watch. Everything but Chris Wallace. <laughs> yeah, at the end of every night, Trump's TV turns to his phone and goes, okay, your turn. Hey, check this out. I saw that Starbucks just made a pretty big announcement. Listen to this. Starbucks is getting rid of straws on most of its ice drinks. The coffee giant is rolling out so-called sippy cup lids for the beverages. Here's an idea. If you want this to catch on, maybe don't call them sippy cups. Uh, we got a little baby sippy cup for Jeff. <laughs> sippy cup for Jeff. <laughs> Meanwhile, over at Dunkin' Donuts, they'll give you a straw that comes packaged inside two other straws. But don't worry, the plastic straws aren't going to waste. Starbucks said that they'll be melted down and turned into breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> Here's something kind of surprising. I heard that Oscar Mayer is offering up its iconic Wienermobile for people's marriage proposals. Here's the actual promotional photo. <laughs> yep. Oscar Mayer says uh, they'll keep uh, loaning it out until one of the proposals ends with a yes. <laughs> into this. It's a great way to show your future wife that she should be the one who handles the money. <laughs> and finally, the St. Louis Zoo says a python just laid seven eggs, but check out why it's making headlines. This 50-year-old python shocked zookeepers by laying eggs. It was surprising because she hasn't been near a male snake in 15 years. 
the news broke, the iguana in the next exhibit was like, look, it was late, we were drunk, <laughs> I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Meanwhile, one zookeeper's like, please don't look at the security footage, please don't look at the security footage. <laughs> we have a great show for you tonight, Kelly Clarkson is here, <laughs> MSNBC's Joy Reid is here, and we got great music, man, they always show up, they're one of the most creative bands out there, I love them, the Flaming Lips are here tonight, <laughs> give it up for the roots, ladies and gentlemen, it is the end of the week, and that's usually when I catch up with some personal stuff. I check my inbox, return some emails, and of course send out thank you notes. And I was running a bit behind. I wondered if I could write out my thank you notes right now. You guys, I hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> I should have done this earlier in the monologue. Uh, uh, James, can I get something? I don't know. Just noodle on that. Yeah, you know, on the on the on the ivories. <laughs> that was your third record, right? <laughs> noodling, noodling on the ivories. Yeah, with the apostrophe. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Thank you, the Trump Boat Parade, for being the first parade that replaced all the floats with sinks. <laughs> Thank you, Trump Tell All Books, for being the Fast and Furious movies of the publishing world. From the makers. Thank you. Martha Stewart's new CBD line, for really adding confusion to the sentence, my mom loves to bake. <laughs> Thank you, pull out couches. Maybe uncomfortable couches, but at least you're also uncomfortable beds. Thank you, Dairy Queen, for releasing blizzard-scented candles and somehow not being the first time I've been tempted to eat a candle. Come on, yeah. these Yankee they smell so good, man. I got it. Yeah, I'm talking about right here. You have one? Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> that looks like the candle Ebenezer Scrooge like. <laughs> <laughs>
is eight porcelain. You, know, you don't see it. You can go into like a Yankee candle. You see these candles all over the bath and body and everything. <laughs> it's almost like a Halloween decoration thing. Which, by the way, I just got those uh, those pumpkins that move. Do you see those things? No. The pumpkin, man, they know how to do it on Instagram. They give these ads. All of my ads are for these pumpkins. I don't know why do they know I want these. I bought it. And you got worked. Absolutely. They, like the pumpkins. They have a projector in the plastic pumpkin, and they, they make the mouths move, and they talk, and they sing, and stuff. And I totally got suckered into doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you have them up already? I got, I ordered them just in case. <laughs> yeah, they're up already. Sold out. <laughs> it's Halloween year-round in my house. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you, men named Todd, for making me imagine a baby named Todd. Uh, I'm going to need some help for this. So joining me now is the one and only Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. Yeah! It is so great to have you here. Uh, here's how this game is going to work. We're going to be taking turns singing famous songs, but to the tune of other famous songs. Clarkson. Sound good? Clarkson. Sounds helpful. <laughs> All right, great, because you're going to kick us off. Uh, 
I'm going to press this button here. It's connected through Bluetooth to our computer, uh, and we'll okay. see what songs you'll be singing. Here we go. I'm going to play it as it goes. All right, so tone generator. Okay, so Ironic by Alanis Morissette. You're going to sing to the tune of Africa by Toto. It's okay. tricky. Let's, uh, let's just see what happens, okay? You ready for this? Okay. We, we will play do the I music. Do I do, like, Alanis's, like, inflection and everything? <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, all right, all right. Here we go. Well, okay. The word should come up on your screen. And try okay. to make it work. Okay. Uh, 
ready for this? Oh, okay, yes. Let's see what we will be singing together. We always have fun singing together. Yes. Yummy. To yummy. The tune oh. Of, oh, yummy, Justin Bieber, yummy. All right, to the tune of Closing yeah. Time. Shock. So basically we're just saying yummy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the only lyrics. I, I mean, I think so. Let's see what comes up. This is awesome. <laughs> Here we go.
really did it, and you're crushing it. I mean, it's... Well, I think ignorance is bliss, Jimmy. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So, I like, everybody was like, you should do a show, and I was like, all right. Like, I didn't, I didn't have a plan, so I thought, well, we should incorporate music, obviously, but... Um, but then you, you won an Emmy for it. Uh, congratulations. You. Oh, my gosh. You have to hear how I found out I won. Yeah. So everything's weird now, like award shows. Everything's different now. So you yeah. don't even—it's not like normal. And usually you're there. So I have had a really different kind of couple of months than what maybe I was expecting my future to look like uh, a few months ago. Yep. And so I'm with my kids, and I'm really present with them. I'm kind of single mom in it now. So I'm like, you know, with Legos, I'm coloring. I never have my phone on. Never watch TV. Totally forgot that the Emmys were just totally. I blank because I'm just so hyper focused and there's sure. a lot going on in my life. And so, I, I'm. I, it's kind of been a rough month for me at that point. And my my executive producer just calls me, and like out of nowhere for me, I'm just sitting there playing Legos. And she was like, "You are the best host." And I was like, and I almost started crying. I was like, <laughs> "Thank you so much." I was like, "You were so sweet." so nice. I was like, you're so, this is a kind thing to do, Alex, to just call someone and tell them they're good at something. Like, I needed that. And she was like, no, you won you at won the Emmys. And I was like, what? And then my kids were like, you won. They were like sitting there and they were so excited. They had no idea why they were excited, but they were freaking out. But yeah, that was how I found out. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, what do you think now? You're, 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 you're back in, you're back in the studio, right? Yes. Which is, uh, it, it, w how's it like for you? I know it's, you're coming back September 21st. Uh, is it, does it feel odd to you going back in the studio? Is it safe? I mean, obviously safe, but. I don't know. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I am the safest person around you, speaking of, because, like, the voice, like, other jobs, this job, I have to take a test for all of them. So I'm, I take, like, Carson Daly and I were like, we take, like, eight tests a week. Yeah. We are very, very safe in all the guidelines. You get Good. it. Like, they're, it's very different. But, um. I, I don't know how you feel, but I, because I, my show actually ran throughout the summer because we were trying to finish out my first season, and it's been running this whole time, honestly, and yeah. I, I adapt pretty easily in life, so I, I didn't really, like, everybody's like, oh, is it weird singing, there's no people there, and I was like, well, no, because I sing in a studio all the time, anyway, and then they're like, oh, is it weird interviewing, and I was like, well, it really is just my first time ever doing this anyway, so I didn't really know what the norm was, so I did, I, I was just kind of like, yeah, however we're going to do it, let's do it, yeah. so it hasn't really bothered me either way, and being back in the studio, it's kind of cool, because we have a virtual audience, and they're from all over the world, and so, and they're all there, like, in the audience seats, and, um, and we have guests, like, there in person, and also still coming virtually, um, and we kind of sit the screen next to me, so it's a, it's, it's interesting, but, and it's definitely technical difficulty hell sometimes, but, yeah. but it's, That's it's great. worth it, though. It's worth it. Yeah, with, so the audience is there, so you can actually, you can see people yeah. in the audience. Wow. I play off of my audience, and they're from, like, everywhere. That's kind of the cool thing, is our whole, sh whole show is about connection. So, the cool thing is we really are connecting, like, all over the globe. That is unbelievable. And are, are they yeah. doing the same thing on, on The Voice? I know you're coming Yeah, back. they do. They're doing it on the voice too. It's not as it, it can't be as interactive on the voice just because of all the elements in play. Um, it's a little more interactive on the TV show, but um, but on the voice they do. They have a huge thing in the in the back in the screen, and we can interact with them. It's just a little. It, it you know it's more about the artists obviously there, and and it's more of like they're just watching and and we chime in every now and then with them. But it's it's interesting though because even doing the voice, 
you hear everything. It's far more intimate. It's it's really different, and it's kind of cool. All the coaches are kind of like, this is cool. Like you can hear everyone's actually actually hear their voice. No, I'm just, well, I just mean you can hear like the crowd goes wild on certain parts, and you're like, wait, we can't hear everything. Yeah. And then my mom will call me and be like, why did you say they did good? They were so off key. Uh, and I was. <laughs> I love moms. I love moms so much. Come on, what are you gonna what oh are you do without your mom? Uh, well, congrats on uh, the voice in October. You have your show coming back yeah. September 21st. Uh, pal, you're one of my faves. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh. I appreciate it. Uh, we always have fun uh, together, so thank you for doing that. Season 2 of The Kelly Clarkson Show premieres Monday, September 21st. Thank you again. We'll be right back with Joy Reid. Stick around, everybody. And I'm a legend in my own time. Some of y'all just a legend in your own Um, were you working in news then? What do you remember about that day? 
I was. I mean, by then we had three young kids, but I, we were living in Florida, and I was now working for the NBC affiliate, uh, WCBJ in Miami. And I remember it was my day off, actually. 9-11, I was, in, I was having an off day. And my brother had come up from Denver and was staying with us. And I remember him yelling, oh, S-word. Um, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And at first I thought maybe it was just the wrong way plane because we had actually had a story like that not long before that in Miami where a guy just went off track and hit a building. So I'm thinking this is just a wrong way plane. By the time I walked down the stairs, the second plane hit. And that's when we all realized this is not a wrong way plane. This is serious. Phone went off. I had to go into work. Um, it was shocking. I think I was so stunned for the first probably, you know, six or seven hours that it didn't hit me. But when it did, I will admit, I'm not ashamed to admit, I, I just cried. And I don't cry at work. I try not to ever cry at work. You know, no matter how tough the story. But I cried that day. And then the day that, um, I, I don't know if you remember, the Boys Choir of Harlem did a thing um, where they went into Yankee Stadium and they sang We Shall Overcome to try to cheer New York up. Wow. And I just, I lost it. Like, Gosh. you know. And then to see the city come back and also uh, it's pretty inspiring as well. And to see yeah. the first responders and everyone oh helping, God. doing whatever they can to help each other. And I was like, Oof. New York is still the greatest city uh, in the world. It oh. just is. It's the most resilient. It's the, you know, people like New Yorkers aren't friendly. No, New Yorkers will give you their shirt off their back. They will do anything for you. New York comes together like no other city and rebounds like no other city, even with what's happening now. I agree. I was just in New York recently. New York is fighting its way back. Nothing can stop New York. Uh, uh, what else is happening in the news? Uh, I guess everyone's still talking about Bob Woodward's book uh, and the tapes. Uh, I, I just don't quite understand it. What are your takes? Because basically the president admitted that he downplayed the threats of yeah. coronavirus. Uh, it, it, he just said a lot of stuff, but... What was he? What was he thinking? Why would he do that? And, and here's the thing, Jimmy. It's not. It, it's not even as if Bob Woodward called the White House switchboard and said, "Let me talk to Trump. Let me talk to him just for five minutes." No, Trump called him on one of the critical phone calls where he admitted that he was just downplaying it, even though he knew that this was a deadly virus that oh is airborne. Not only that, the day that he called Bob Woodward and gave him that on-the-record interview where he's like, I'm playing it down. I like to play it down. He held a rally that day. I mean, he literally, in the contemporaneous period, and then kept holding rallies and then stopped for a while and then went right back and did it in Tulsa the day after Juneteenth. This man has known the whole time. You know, I did a commentary on the show the other day where I said, look, at the end of the day, Donald Trump has lost his credibility with people like me, people who cover him day in and day out, and who have, have, you know, I've written a book about him, I've interviewed all of his biographers nearly, people who've worked with him, people who've worked on The Apprentice, very difficult for me to take him at face value when he talks, but his supporters do, they believe everything he says, it's them he's primarily lying to, it's them who he's convinced not to wear masks, it's them who will take his advice and try bleach, and thinking that that will help them, it's them. In, and then they put the rest of us in danger because they won't protect themselves. Uh, I'm sure you saw the rally last night. Everyone was... was Unbelievable. Uh, and they played Fortunate Son as, like, the intro song. It's just so... It, it's bizarre. I, 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 I want to talk about uh, a big project with Peacock and MSNBC tomorrow night at 10. But uh, yeah. it's a documentary called The Sit-In. Uh, I'm hosting The Tonight Show, so I know the story. 
But a lot of people might not know this uh, story. Do you want to explain what the sit-in is about? Yeah, and Jimmy, I didn't know it either. Like, I did not know that. And, you know, we talked early on about the idea of, you know, me hosting, um, you know, a, a primetime news show. You, as you know, late night is very similar in terms of the demographics of the people who dominated late night, you know, since the 1950s. You know, Johnny Carson, of course, being the guy who made late night into late night, created this, this incredible platform that you, you know, are blessed to continue and that we're thankful that you're continuing. So, but you also know that the platform has generally been about a breath, right? It's, it's like Walter Cronkite at six and then a deep breath for late night where you can just chill, yeah, right? And that's what it was. But Johnny had an ethos. Johnny, he was a little, you know, he was a little bit of a social gangster a little bit. He was like, I'm a little gangster with this. I'm going to do something big. He took this platform and he gave it to the first black man to ever host in late night. And that black man is Harry Belafonte. February 1968, middle part of the civil rights movement, you know, violence and riots had been going on over police killings and abuse of black people. It was a really difficult time in America. He, you know, Johnny Carson hands this week over to Harry Belafonte and he says, do whatever you want with it. And Harry says, you know what I'm gonna do with it? I'm gonna go big. Yes, I'm gonna have on Aretha Franklin, Buffy St. Marie, like great entertainers, but I'm also gonna have on my political friends political people, and he had on the two biggest in terms of social gospel, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy, and he does the last interviews, especially with Dr. King. I think this was his last recorded interview. It is, uh, it's a great documentary. It's called The Sit-In. It's on Peacock currently, and tomorrow night on MSNBC. I want to show a clip. Here's a clip from The Sit-In. Check it out. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Harry, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm so happy to be here. I flew out of Washington this afternoon, and as soon as we started out, they notified us that the plane had mechanical difficulties, and I don't want to give you an impression that as a Baptist preacher, I don't have faith in God in the air. It's simply that I've had more experience with him on the ground. <laughs> I was kind of amused that he knew how to get laughter, which is something that you don't see in his speeches because he's so serious. My thing was like, oh, he can tell a good joke. Fantastic. Joy Reid, everybody. I also want to mention The Man Who Sold America, your best-selling book, is now paperback with brand-new chapters. Go check that out. Uh, also, uh, please watch The Sit-In on Peacock now. We'll be right back with a performance from The Flaming Lips. Thank you again, Joy, for being here. Thank you. And I'm a legend in my own time. Some of y'all just a legend in your... I'm a bride... Performing the song God and the Policeman from their 16th studio album, American Head Out Now, here are the Flaming Lips. 